The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I have done everything that I know to do, and I have prayed over this message. I have searched the scriptures, and I ask that you would enable my preaching this night. Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts and that you would call people to yourself through this message. And may it be information and conviction that will grip their hearts in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. My text tonight is in John 8:56, but we're not going to go there for quite a while. I would like you to put up the first uh, uh, slide, uh, Matthew 22:29 and Matthew 22:31 to 32. In the last week of our Lord's life, different groups came to Jesus and they asked him questions that were not designed to gain information. They were designed to make him look absolutely ridiculous to the public, which at that point was in his favor. One of the groups that came to him was the, were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the religious liberals of their day. They were the secular religionists, if such a thing can be. It's kind of an oxymoron. They, they do not believe in the, re, in, in, in the resurrection. When you die, that's it. You're done. You go poof. You don't, live, you don't live anymore. And so they came to Jesus and they said, uh, Master, uh, there was a man that died and uh, he had six brothers. And when he died, he left no children. And under the law of Moses, the next brother was to marry his wife and raise up children in his name. Now, it so happened that this second brother died, left no children, and the next brother married him, and so on down through all, uh, all the other six brothers. All seven of them were married to this one woman. Now, in the resurrection, Whose wife will she be? And they're thinking, we've got him now. He can't get out of this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, how could they ask this question if they didn't know the scriptures? Think about that. And Jesus says, you err because you don't know the scriptures. <coughs> and he answered, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. It is very, very, very easy to know the Bible factually, but to not understand what it says. I say that, and I have to admit that the more I have studied the Bible, the more uh, uh, I, I realize I understand and know so little. 
I mentioned that I, my first, I took my first church 50 years ago this year. And I have studied the Bible often. Pastor studies the Bible. A pastor, I'm sure by now you know everything and understand everything in the Bible. Now, he's being honest. Of course he doesn't. Neither do I. But it's very easy to fail to understand what God has to say. The purpose of my message tonight is to show that Scripture equates Jesus Christ with Jehovah and with the I Am of Exodus 3.14, where God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who is sending me? And God answered, I am that I am, or I am who I am. There are things in the Bible that set the Bible apart from other books. One of those things is its unity. The unity of Scripture has to do with the fact that the various writers of the Bible often lived hundreds, even thousands of years apart from each other. Moses, for example, wrote the law uh, wrote the, the first five books of the Bible about 1400 B.C. David lived about 1000 B.C. Malachi lived right around 400 B.C. In, in general terms. John died about 95 A.D. And yet, even though these men never knew each other, whenever they talk about the subject that one has talked about and the and the other talks about, they agree. It doesn't matter what the subject is, they agree. They could not get together and chit-chat and say, well, what are we going to say about this or that? Couldn't do it. It's also important to realize that the Bible often says the same thing, but in different ways. The Bible says the same thing in different ways. For example, Without declaring that Jesus Christ is God, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, he has said, meaning Christ, I will never leave thee forsake thee. The only way that Jesus Christ can never leave all of us just in Kettering, Ohio, much less in Kenya or South Africa or Cambodia or the Republic of Ireland, places where we've ministered, our Lord Jesus Christ says, I will never leave you no matter where you are. That is the equivalent of saying that Jesus Christ is omnipresent or everywhere present. Only God is everywhere present. Solomon said at the dedication of his temple, the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this temple that I have built. So the attribute of, of being in every place all the time is ascribed to Jesus Christ, and that is an attribute of God. In, in Hebrews 13, 8, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is the attribute of God which is called immutability. 
God does not change. God was not exhausted after he created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was not exhausted when he created the heavens and the earth. God has not gotten any old, any older. I was telling uh, this young guy down here not to have birthdays because people have birthdays uh, get old, and I can speak from experience. Uh, so postpone them, you know, delay them two or three years, and you don't get old quite as fast. But Jesus Christ does not change. Immutability is an attribute of God. God is not any older now than he was a, a gazillion years in eternity time before the world was created. And he's not going to get any older uh, a gazillion years into the future in eternity time. So the Bible says the same thing in different ways. Now, as I said, my message tonight has to do with the way that Scripture equates Jesus Christ with Jehovah and the I Am of the Old Testament. Jehovah and I Am are the same person. But remember that, that the Bible says the same things in different ways. Can we have slide number two, please? And for those of you that uh, may be watching on, on uh, uh, the internet or is being streamed, uh, I don't think you can see the, uh, the verses that we project here in the auditorium. But at least you can quickly look up uh, John 1, 22 and 23 and Isaiah 40. John the Baptist had a very successful ministry in terms of the number of people that flocked to hearing. Uh, he didn't have an advanced crew come into town and say, oh, uh, we're going to have uh, meetings with John the Baptist. They came to him, no PR. And as a result of that, the religious leaders sent people to him and said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Well, are you Elias or Elijah? No, I'm not Elias. Well, who are you? And here is what he said in John chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Then they said unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, as said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. He is quoting a prophecy from Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, tell me, what does capital L capital R, or capital O, capital R, capital D, indicate? Pardon? It indicates the translation of the Hebrew word Jehovah, well, uh, actually, it's Y, it's spelled Y-H, uh, Y-H, or Y-H-W-H, something like that, Y-H-W-H, as opposed to a Lord as a master of an estate or a high official, or someone who is, um, uh, has re a regal uh, 
regal standing. Every time you read the word capital L, capital O, capital RD in the Old Testament, you're reading about Jehovah. Now, Jehovah has many names, though the most frequently uh, applied name is Jehovah in the Old Testament. About 250 times he is called the Lord of hosts or Jehovah of hosts. His name is also called Holy. I, I, there's a verse in Isaiah that designates Holy as the name of, of God. Uh, he is Jehovah Tichkenu, Jehovah my righteousness. And there are several other names of Jehovah. So it, it doesn't matter uh, which name is being used, though Jehovah is the most one. It refers to the same uh, almighty, ever-existing, self-existing uh, God. One translation of the New Testament frequently changes the word Lord, small or capital L, small O, small R, small D, to the word Jehovah. There is no word in the Greek language for the word Jehovah. It does not exist. Now, I have more time on my hands than most of you. And so I got out this translation of the Bible, and I went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians, and I have on my computer a list of the times where the New World Translation translates the word kurios, or word Lord, as Jehovah. Well, what's the big deal? The deal is, is that when that is, when that is mistranslated, it tends to separate the idea that Jesus Christ is identified with Jehovah. John's ministry, tell me, who was he, did he come to announce? Did he come to announce Jehovah? or Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is actually both. But in, in our passage, Lord refers to Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not equated with Jehovah, of Isaiah 40, verse 3. Then John the Baptist is lying, and he's saying that, I, that Isaiah lied when he said that he was, when he was announcing the coming of the Lord. In order for Isaiah's prophecy to be fulfilled, Jesus Christ must fulfill Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3. It cannot be any other way. Remember, can we have a slide three now? Remember I said that there's the unity of Scripture. Who is Jesus Christ? Well, according to his, the account of his birth in Matthew, his name is Emmanuel. 
Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which behold, which, uh, uh, behold a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Matthew says that the name of Jesus, one of the names of Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. Well, who else says that? The prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 7:14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name. Emmanuel, if Jesus Christ is not Emmanuel, then he cannot fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14. He must be identified as God with us. Now, John the Baptist equated Jesus with Jehovah. Jesus Christ identified himself and equated himself with Jehovah. I want us to consider two of the temptations in Matthew. Uh, the temptations are listed in Matthew and in Luke. They're in different order, but doesn't matter. Satan, in the second temptation, asked the Lord to prove his sonship by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. Now, the Bible tells us that the, word, that the, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Every time that Satan tempted the Lord... He replied with scripture. Now, the Lord's rebuttal to this temptation is a quotation from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 16. Can we put that the next slide up? Okay, good. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He is quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Massa is the place where Israel complained and griped about the fact there was no water. No water for about two and a half million people, no water for all of their animals. That is the place where God told Moses, to strike the rock. Their temptation, their sin was this, that they questioned whether God was amongst them or not. I can almost guarantee that there will be times in your life, as there have been in mine, that because of circumstances, you will question whether or not God is with you. You, you, will, you may feel abandoned by God. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But, this, but the, the, the point is, is that 
God or Jesus Christ referred to this passage in Deuteronomy and he said you should not tempt the Lord your God. Who was Satan tempting? Was he tempting Jehovah or was he tempting Christ? Well the answer is he was attempting both because that's who Jesus Christ was. The next temptation, Satan asks the Lord, if you will bow down to me and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. I think that was the first uh, uh, word uh, projection in history, Pastor. In a moment of time, he shows the grandeur of all these earthly kingdoms. And Jesus says to him, thou shalt, thou, the scripture says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. Now it could be argued that Jesus is instructing Satan, and that he's not claiming to be equal with Jehovah in this answer. Well, I would refer you to Hebrews 1.6. Would you give me slide number five, please? In Hebrews 1.6, we read this. And again, when he bringeth the firstborn... Who is he here? Who brought the firstborn into the world? God. Okay. Who is the firstborn? Jesus Christ. Now... I can't, I don't have time to go into the meaning of firstborn, but it doesn't mean the son of a husband and wife. Let me just leave it at that. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he, he says this, and let all the angels of God worship him. This is a command from God, Jehovah God, the I Am. If Jesus Christ is only a created being, if he is only a created being, then the worship of Baal or Buddha or Hatma Gandhi or whoever else you want to worship is no different than worshiping Jesus Christ. Well, how so? Because in that case, neither Jesus Christ or Buddha or any other god you want to put in there is anything less than the eternal God. In the Roman Empire, Caesar, the, the, those, Caesar required people to worship him. Christians were slaughtered by the thousands because they said, we will worship Jesus Christ alone. We will not add Jesus Christ to the, uh, add Jesus Christ to the worship of Caesar. It's important to realize that, that if Christ is a created being, he is not an eternal person. He is not God. He is worshiping him then would be no different than worshiping Baal. But Jesus, but uh, Jehovah says in Isaiah 48, 42, 8, 
I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. A graven images is something that is a made God. His declaration, the Lord's declaration, is that Jesus Christ is, that he is identifying himself as Lord and not to be tempted and only to be worshipped. Both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ equated himself with, uh, with Jehovah. But, Je- but Jesus Christ also equated himself, identified himself with Jehovah and declared himself to be the I am of Genesis or of Exodus 3.14. Uh, we uh, turn to John 8, 56 to 59. John 8. We're going to stay in John 8. We'll move over to, to maybe John chapter 4 in, in just a moment, but we're going to stay, we'll stay in John now. <clears throat> John 8, 56 to 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Why did the Jews want to stone Jesus Christ for what he said? Why did they want to stone him? They wanted to stone him because they understood he was claiming to be the I am of Exodus 3.14. Judy, I I should have asked you beforehand, but what tense is I am? Present tense. This, these two words, I am, are the translation of one word I mean, it it is found 130 times, over 130 times in the New Testament. Nearly 60 times in the Gospel of John. And eight times in John chapter 8. Now, sometimes it is used by people other than Jesus Christ. Uh, For example... Uh, Peter, uh, I think, said, uh, I am going fishing. No problem. That's the normal word for just I am. It means I, I intend to go fishing and continue fishing. That's the, uh, the, the sense of it. In the New World Translation, John 8.58 is the only place in that Bible where I am is translated as a past tense. It reads, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I have been. You cannot translate that verb as a past tense verb. Why? What does it do? It changes Jesus Christ from an eternal person to a person who has been created and who came into existence at some point in eternity past. 
I have checked out every place that I am in the New World Translation, and so far as I can, can tell, there is no other place in that translation where we have found the translation as, I have been. That makes Jesus Christ a created being. We dare not change what God has written. We cannot do it. We cannot know God if the translation of his word is not accurate. I've checked with four other translations. I have a number of translations on my computer, uh, some of which I can't read. I can't read German or Russian or Kazakhstanese or whatever it is. Uh, I can work with Greek, but I can't read it. And in the English translations, it's never translated anything but I am. There's no question that this is a alteration of God's word. Now we are familiar with seven I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am continuing to be the bread of life, the source of eternal life. I am the light of the world, the symbol of spiritual truth, the continuing symbol of spiritual truth. I am the door of the sheep, the only continuing way to fellowship with God's people. I am the good shepherd. He is the only one who truly cares. I am the resurrection and the life. He's the only one who raises the dead. By the way, that is something that only God can do. Uh, prophets did it only through the power of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life summarizes the reason for his coming and work. He never stops being the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He is the only continuing source for life and power and service. Now what does this mean to us? What does the identification of Jesus Christ with Jehovah and with I am mean to us? Well, first of all, it means that we must accept the complete deity of Jesus Christ, whether we understand the Trinity or not. Uh, Pastor, if you understand, I want an appointment with you immediately, and you can explain it to me, all right? I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm sure he doesn't. I don't understand the Trinity. I can make an illustration. I can hold up... Well, in your, in your uh, uh, pews, you have three hymn books. Those hymn books are made of the same material, the same substance. There is one substance. God is a spirit. He is a spirit. But can I explain the three persons? No. All I can do is accept what God has said. Again, if I can understand God, and, and people that, that reject the idea of, of the Trinity say, well, I don't understand. Well, join the club. 
If, you under, if anyone here understands the Trinity, please uh, right away stand up and explain it to me. Again, let me say that if we could understand God, he would be no greater than we are with all our limitations. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, it is impossible to please God without understanding him. Is that right, Pastor? No, it says, it is, by, it's impossible to please God without faith. He doesn't require us to understand him. He requires us to trust him. You can read in the heroes of the faith, the people that lived before the flood, and it will say, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch, believed God and was translated that he should not see death. By faith, Noah built the ark. Did they understand God? No. And we are not called to understand God. We are called to trust him and trust his word. He is the God that cannot lie. He just does not lie, but it's impossible for him to lie. So, the first thing that it means for us is that we must come to God by faith, not by understanding. And let, let me say this, we cannot, we cannot logically win people to Christ through logic. We have to present the gospel in an orderly fashion, but logic, human logic, doesn't do it. It is only the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God opened the heart of Lydia by the, uh, by the river in Philippi. Only God can open hearts and change minds. The second thing that it means is that seeing Jesus Christ as I am is absolutely necessary for the removal of our sin. Now go up to John 8, 23 and 24. Uh, this, most of this chapter involves conflict between the Lord and between religious leaders. Uh, let me say, probably many, some of you, maybe many, I don't know, have known people that have gone to church and somebody in the church has offended them in some way and they're, they're going to say, I'm never going to go back to church again because of that. Do you have relatives like that? Tell me, who was the most abused person by religious people that has ever been and ever will be? Huh? Jesus Christ was the most abused people by religious people. That is a straw man. That is something that, that, that needs to be answered. Jesus Christ was abused by religious people. 
in John chapter 5, again in, in uh, uh, John, here in John chapter 8, again in John chapter uh, 10, and again in John 19, he was accused of blasphemy for, for equating himself with God. The religious people understood what he, what he said about himself. And that was the reason that they said he was guilty to be crucified in John 19.7, because he made himself the Son of God. Now look at John 8.23 and 24. And he, that's the Lord Jesus, said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am, there's our word again, from above, ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am, there's our word, that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, I want you to look. You can look at your Bible if you, if you want to, but you can look up here. You'll notice that the word he is in italics. You, you see that? Okay. Why is that word in italics? Pastor, why is it in italics? It's the translators added it in, thinking that it would help us to understand what God's Word says. In this case, it hurts us. Take out the, the little word, read it without the word he. And what does it say? He says, <clears throat> I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am... Ye shall die in your sins. No one can have their sins removed, be saved, and go to heaven without accepting the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Another thing that the identity of Christ with I am means is that it is necessary, an absolute necessary, for the Jews to accept that the Messiah is the I am of the Old Testament. Now flip over a page or two to, to John chapter 4, where Jesus is meeting with the woman at the well of Samaria. Well, we saw a good, vivid display of it uh, in a short video last week, and I was, I was Pastor, I was watching this carefully because, because of preparing the lesson. Jesus meets this woman, and he says, can I have some water? Oh, why are you a Jew asking me a Samaritan? We don't talk to each other. Well, he says, if you, if, if you knew who I was, I'd give you living, uh, you, you could have living water. Well, give me the water, I don't have to come to this well all the time. Uh, go and call your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Oh, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Oh, oh, I'm talking to a prophet. Oh, uh, uh, so answer this question. Where do we worship? Uh, Samaria or Jerusalem? And Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. But then he says, or she says, I know that Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, if in verse 426, can we put that up there? Jesus says unto her, I that speak unto thee am 
he. Now, look at that he again. The he is in italics. What is Jesus saying to her? The Messiah that you're looking for is before you. I am, the I am of, the Messiah is the I am of Exodus 3.14 that met with Moses in the desert. The account, the account, again, is a little bit fudged. His claim is a little bit fudged by the addition of that he. I'd like to see uh, this slide number six. In John chapter four, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men. Jesus understand that if there was also equal number of women and maybe uh, one or two kids along, that crowd could have been uh, over 11, 12, maybe 13,000. We don't know, but they only counted the men that day. They got into a boat. They go across the Sea of Galilee. Anybody here been across the Sea of Galilee? I haven't been. I have been in a boat on the ocean with some what I thought were good-sized waves. My, my wife says, oh, they were nothing. When we were in the Philippines visiting once in Leyte, we went to an island off the shore of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Leyte where the, uh, the first mass was said. And uh, my father-in-law went there and at now there are no Catholic churches and there are four Baptist churches on the island. <laughs> but anyway, we, we had to cross what I thought was a pretty good stretch of open ocean and we were on the side that the wind was coming and well, we were in a, maybe an 18, 20 foot boat, but the, the waves, you, you remember that D? Coming right over us. I was, I was a, a little bit scared. The, the people that were on the ocean all the time, they, didn't bother them at all. But these disciples, some of them were fishermen, they were scared spitless. And then on top of that, it's one thing to be afraid of the waves, it's another thing to think you are seeing a ghost, because they saw Jesus walking to them on the water. Now, the Bible says, and they were afraid. They had two reasons to be afraid, but Jesus says to them, he says, <clears throat> he says to them, but he saith unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Our English translation leaves out the am. I am, be not afraid. Is there anybody here that has never had a storm in their life? I don't see any hands raised. I want to talk to you. How did you avoid the storm? Cancer strikes a young mother with three kids and leaves a husband with three little kids. Some storms are very short. 
I have a big problem if I can't find my car keys. But that's not really a very big storm. I have a problem if my car doesn't start. It has happened to me a few times. But that's not a big storm. Some storms are longer lasting. I think some of you here have been through storms. Joanne, your husband died 20 years ago. Jeannie, your husband died, what, five years ago? This morning we heard a testimony from, from Morris, how that God spared his life with a cancer that other doctors wouldn't believe that he had, but his own doctor admitted that, that, that God, it must have been God at work. Some, some storms last a lifetime. We have a son that was not able to finish high school. Some storms, it takes a long time for them to be resolved. Joseph was sold as a slave when he was 17 and didn't understand why God had done it until he was 39. For 22 years, he could ask why, and he didn't have an internet to look up his family to find where they were in Judah if they were still alive. But he came to the conclusion that God, that his brothers had meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We do not know why God allows the storms in our life. And we may not know until we get to heaven. And, and I think when we get to heaven, it really won't matter. I don't know who is watching as this message is streamed. But let me say that unless you know Jesus Christ as the I am, you have absolutely no hope of having your sin removed and you will go to hell. Your name will not be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. John the Baptist declared that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 40, verse 3. He came to declare <clears throat> the way of the Lord, preparation of the Lord. Jesus said that he was the only one who should be worshipped because he is God alone. And Jesus identified himself as the self-sustaining one who never gets tired and who never exists. When he was living as a man, he was living, he, he condescended himself as a man. He humbled himself. But now he is exalted at the right hand of God the Father. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.